0: Peace. Our first hymn this morning is hymn number eight Jerusalem, lift up thy voice. to end.
1: for he shall save his people from their sins. We're given just a little glimpse of Mary and Joseph before Jesus was born. They lived in the hill country of Galilee. Joseph was a religious man. Mary gives every evidence of having a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, even though she was a teenager. The Bible teaches that God was so pleased with her that he chose her to be the mother of Jesus. Mary and Joseph weren't married, and yet Mary became pregnant. Put yourself in Joseph's place. Imagine his thoughts, his aspirations about the girl whom he was engaged. But Joseph decided to break the engagement privately. While he was thinking about these things, God's angel appeared to him in a dream to give Joseph an explanation of the situation. All Joseph's suspicions were put away. He accepted what God had said through the angel, and he was immediately married to to Mary. But Joseph and Mary followed the call and plan of God, and through their obedience, the way was prepared for Christ to come and bless us.
2: Let's bow our heads in order of prayer. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your providence and provision concerning the Christ child, for the scarlet thread that runs throughout the history of mankind that shows us that, that, that your son would come and crush the serpent's head. We thank you for the peace that we receive because of his sacrifice, because of his death, and his resurrection and the blood that was shed to cover all our sin, so making peace. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would be with us here this morning, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word, that it would take root in our hearts, that sinners would be converted and that Jesus would be lifted up for all to see. We pray, O oh Lord, for those on our prayer list. We pray for Jamie Aho, Andy Thunberg, Al HaPasari, Lois Weary, Deb Mersu, Don and Bev Hagel, Linda Robin, Steve Salo, Evan Candle, Barb Lund, Janet Blickenstaff, Deb Toomberg, Dean Walter, Tom Toomberg, Ron Wallace, Ames and Jacqueline Bruin, Eugene Coscola, Doretta Olson, and Don and Vi Salo. We ask, O oh Lord, that we to help them in their time of need. We pray for those who mourn the loss of loved ones. We pray for those who are suffering from grief especially at this time of year. There are so many joyous memories around this holiday season that it often lays bare our loss and makes us feel the sting of it all new again. We pray, O oh Lord, that those who are suffering from grief and loss may be comforted by the knowledge that Christ is risen and that because he lives, we shall live also and that nothing can separate us from his love, which is in from your love, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Dear Father, we pray also for our nation. We ask your blessing upon it. We pray for our leaders, and we ask that you would give them wisdom to rule us justly. We pray for those who serve in our military, that you would protect them and keep them safe. We pray for those who are suffering as a result of of war and violence throughout the world. And we we ask that you would bring peace in these places and in these hearts that need it. We pray for those who are most particularly suffering in Russia and Ukraine and in the Middle East and Israel. And we ask, O oh Lord, that your, your healing hand would be upon these war-torn lands and that your peace would be with them. We pray, Father, for your word as it goes forth around the world. We pray that you would be with those who spread it, Mary's and preachers, that you would make provision for it. We pray for our community here in New York Mills. We pray for those who are going without um, food or who are in need of help financially. We pray for those who are suffering as a result of bullying or abuse or oppressed in any way. Those who, those who are in need of, of help, those who are hurting, those who are sick, We pray that you would bless them and help them. And if we can do anything here in our community, that you would work through us to serve it. We pray for our church. We pray that you would give us our leaders wisdom and guidance. We pray for our families, our husbands and wives and children, our marriages. We pray for those who are single among us and seeking a spouse. We pray that you would bring us together around the worship of your son, our Lord. Dear Father, we commend this service into your fatherly care, praying that having having done so, you would give us your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now hear us, Lord, as together we pray that most perfect prayer, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
0: Hymn number 13, Rejoice, Rejoice this Happy Morn.
2: grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon text is found in Mark chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 8. And we read in the name of Jesus. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey and preached, saying, there cometh one mightier than I, after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. We pray, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. When I was a kid, I remember particularly um, some of the uh, most dreaded moments were when it was time to clean my room. And um, me and my brothers eventually, though, developed a system. You see, I, when I was really young, I shared a room with three of my brothers. So there was four of us. We had two sets of bunk beds. And um, when it was time for us all to clean the room, Pretty much everything that was on the floor, under the bed. The, under both beds, we, we had it pretty good there. Um, and that works until you need to find something or until mom and dad decide to check under the bed and then the jig is up. I also remember um, in third grade, um, I had this pencil box that had a drawer on it. That could, it was pretty big, it could fit a lot of stuff in it. And when it was time to clean out our desks, I would do what I had called at third grade, I thought it was a pretty impressive term, operation put in box, where everything went into that box. And that works for a time, but eventually you need to find something. And I'm still learning this lesson, but what you realize is that those kind of temporary quick fixes don't work. You're eventually going to have to clean your room the right way. You're eventually going to have to take out the trash. You're eventually going to have to empty out the box. And delaying the inevitable is helping no one. John is here preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. To prepare the way for Jesus. And among those who he is talking to are the Pharisees. Who like me when I was a kid, aren't very good at laying themselves bare, aren't very good at taking care of the root of the problem, although they're under a deception where they kind of think that they are. You see, the Pharisees are all about the outside, all about outwardly keeping the law. And this is why Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was so revolutionary, because one of the underlying factors of his teaching there was not just about the outward, it was about the heart. That if you're angry at your brother, you've committed murder. You've broken the law just by simply being angry. Or if you lust after a woman in your heart, you have committed adultery. Not the deed itself but just the thought behind it that sin doesn't just stretch to our outward behavior but the way our heart is and so John his preaching well it's something that when I was young I would have needed to hear you see there is something amazing about a corporate people coming together confessing their sin confessing that they are indeed not right when I was a kid there were certain people that I looked up to to quite a degree that I would have been shocked to hear them take part in any kind of corporate confession what do you mean you're a poor miserable sinner As you grow older, you're able to see the sin of your elders. But as a young kid, you kind of have those goggles on, where they're the ones who got it all figured out. They're the ones who know everything. But when a group of people comes together, confessing their sin, that is a marvelous thing to behold. And this is precisely what happens as a response to John's preaching the people who flock to him come confessing their sins and are baptized. And they receive forgiveness. Now that thing. But, I suspect there were many there, Pharisees included, because Jesus says to them, or not Jesus, but John looks at them and he says, he calls them a brood of vipers. And he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath which is to come? In other words, he says, you guys are snakes. Why are you here? Are you here because you're part of this moving of the word of God and spirit that you're actually repenting of your sins? Or are you here to see what's going on? Are you here because you're moved to repentance by the contrition that is on your heart because of what you have done? Or do you trust in yourself that you're righteous? And if you trust in yourself that you're righteous, then why are you here? It must be a sad thing to be a spectator of such an event. Seeing these people together confessing their sin and yet not being a part of it. There is no peace there. There is no joy there. And the saddest part of all is they probably didn't even realize what they were missing out on. And that's why John is so harsh. He says, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. The one, who does not re- the, the one that does not bear fruit will be cast into the fire. And he says, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. All of this is to say is that we cannot fool God. We cannot trick him. He sees the thought and intents of our hearts He knows the motivation behind our every action, and he knows why we are here this morning. He knows the motivations that impel us. He knows our convictions. He knows our heart. And there is no fooling him. There is no pulling one over on him. You can trick me pretty easily. I was pretty good at tricking my parents and teachers into thinking I'd actually cleaned my room or actually cleaned out my desk instead of just hiding things. But God is much better than our, my parents were or my third grade teacher, Mrs. Slater. He knows, and there is no fooling him. There is no pulling the wool over his eyes. And so how do we answer that question this morning? Why are we here? Why are you here? What are the motivations that bring you to this place? Is it in keeping with what you think a Christian ought to do or ought to be? Is it because you want to impress someone? Is it because you want people to see that you're a Christian? The sad thing is there's a little bit of that in all of us right now. Our sinful flesh is just that way. Pride is a crazy thing and it creeps up into all of our hearts. I remember um, not long after I got here I heard a George Wilson quote that um, has become something that I appreciate very much he would say we are sin from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. That is that we are completely and utterly sinful. And and what a good way to describe it, right? And this is just how broken we are. That we can't even come to church without sinful motivations, without sinful thoughts, without sinful intents creeping in. It's terrible, isn't it? But we can't just be left here because otherwise we're just like the Pharisees, simply spectators of what's going on. And there is no peace in spectating. We have to be a part of it, a part of the group. And we aren't a part of the group by walking the right way or talking the right way or saying the right things. It's not about the outward, it's about the inward. The movement of the spirit, the response to God's word, is such that it completely obliterates those things. Martin Luther, um, in talking about um, confession and absolution, he said he said something quite amazing. I think he says, and this is on a, in a sermon. This is an excerpt from a sermon on Luke 24, verses 36 to 47, but I won't read the whole thing. I'll just read this excerpt. For that reason, we do not teach confession as the Pope's theologians do, that we must count up our sins. This is the only thing the papists call confession, or that by doing so, we obtain forgiveness and become worthy of absolution. As they say, because of your contrition and confession, I absolve you from your sins. Rather, we teach that we should use confession in order to hear the comfort of the gospel and thus to awaken and strengthen faith in the forgiveness of sins, which is the true chief part of repentance. Thus, to confess does not mean, as it does among the papists, to make a long list counting up the sins, but to desire absolution, which is in itself confession enough. That is, that we acknowledge our guilt and confess that we are sinners. Nothing more should be demanded or imposed on us about counting up by name all or some, many or few sins. You yourself could then point out something which especially burdens your conscience, for which you need instruction and advice or special comfort, as is often necessary for young or inexperienced people and also for others. You see, Luther there brings up something that is quite amazing. Confession is an acknowledgment of our sin. That is what's required of us this morning. We don't have to make a long list of all the things that that we have done. We simply acknowledge that we have broken God's law. And that even now we retain sinful inclinations and motives. And we're here because we desire absolution. That is forgiveness. That's the reason to be here this morning. To desire to hear God's word of promise. That though your sins be as scarlet, he has washed them white as snow. And that's how the heart gets true peace. When we are laid bare. When we are vulnerable together. Admitting that we are sinful and unclean. And knowing that none of us are alone in that. It would be a terrible thing to simply spectate or to be dishonest in this endeavor. It'd be like you're arguing with your wife or your husband, your spouse, over something that was done. And you're unwilling to acknowledge your guilt in the matter. And so you come to a resolution but it's a paltry one because you know deep down that you are guilty and that someday that's gonna be laid bare and the fight is gonna be on again. That is not peace. Peace does not come with knowing that there's going to be a future reckoning. We often look at two warring nations and we think peace comes when they stop fighting, but peace is far more than not fighting. Peace is true harmony, an end to strife, an end to striving, an end to hatred. Peace comes from God alone, and his peace is much different than the world's peace. His peace was bought with a price, with the precious blood of the Lamb. His peace is given to us fully and freely through the word of promise. (coughs) For what did the angels say? I bring you glad tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Maybe I said that backwards, but peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Another way you could read that is, peace on earth be upon those whom God is pleased with. You see, if we don't acknowledge our sin, if we don't repent, then we are simply spectators of the peace. Spectators of what's going on. I like those Pharisees. Why are you here? Why go through the motions? Why come if you're not going to be a part of it? If your heart is hardened, what's the point? And as I said, there's a part of that in all of us a part of us that wants to hold back, that doesn't want to admit it, that sinful nature within us never wants to hear that it's a poor, miserable sinner, never wants to say those words, never wants to join in with that confession, never wants to have that movement of the heart. And that's why it needs to be crushed. And it is crushed by the law of God. You see, God's law is quite clear. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Hold that mirror up. Look in it. How have you done? I think there's some of us, I think there's something where we think that the, um, we, uh, you know, when I, you, you ask me what's the easiest commandment to keep. And for a good portion of my life, I probably would have said, well, the first one, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That seems like an easy one to keep. Just don't worship anything else. I can do that. Wrong. And and there's something in us that does not want to trust God, that does not want to take him at his word, that wants to doubt him, that is afraid of him. But if we could keep that first commandment, we'd be able to keep all the others, if we truly feared, loved, and trusted him above all things. But we can. not And so we don't measure up. We haven't loved God with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, Uh, or all our strength, and we haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves. I mean, just think about the last week. I'm sure there are plenty of examples that would come to mind of you breaking God's law, lashing out in anger, giving in to temptation, giving in to despair, giving in to doubt, giving in to fear, stealing, coveting, adultery, murder, all of those are a part of our daily life. And so we would fit right in with this marvelous group that we see today that came to John as a response to his preaching, confessing their sin. We fit right in with them because we all have that one thing. We all have sin. It's not demanded of us that we name every single one or even say anything out loud today, but that we simply acknowledge in our hearts that we are sinners and that we're in need of forgiveness that only comes from Jesus. And he gives it to us fully and freely. As a minister of the gospel, by the command of Christ and in his stead, I declare unto you the entire forgiveness of all of your sins. You can believe all your sins forgiven according to the precious name and blood of Jesus. They are cast as far as the east is from the west. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. You see, John says, I baptize with water, but the one who is coming after me, the latchet of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It was an act of contrition itself. Those people, they would go down into the water and come out forgiven. But there was one who would go down into that water who was not what he seemed. Everyone said, going down into that water, everyone, by taking part in that act, identified themselves as a sinner. But there was one who was lying. Well, not really lying, but there was one who was not a sinner that would go down in that water in the place of sinners, and that is Christ himself. He was no sinner, yet he took upon himself the role of a sinner. John was the latest and greatest of the Old Testament prophets, the last of them. So Jesus was baptized by a representative of the old system, a prophet, under the law, in order to fulfill it for you. So making peace, peace purchased by his blood, peace purchased by him, So the baptism of John is different than the baptism of Jesus. You see, John's kind of more dealt with the outward, but Jesus deals with the inward. His contains the Holy Spirit. Peter says on Pentecost, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, for as many as the Lord our God shall call. This is the promise that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Perfect peace and rest. And so don't let the turmoil of this world or your own sinful flesh make you just a spectator of the events that unfold. But instead, understand that you qualify to be part of the group. You are a part of the group because you're a sinner. And it was sinners that Christ died for. But he has made peace between you and God so that we can freely greet each other and speak that reality so that every day we see another fellow member of this congregation, we can be reminded of that truth, that there is peace between God and men. There's peace between you and him. And when we declare that to each other, that's the reality that we're proclaiming over whatever circumstance we're in. God's peace, that declaration does far more than our token efforts to sweep things under the rug or to hide the toys under the bed or the papers in the box. We lay bare our sinfulness so that God's absolution can be crystal clear to us. Always. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Almighty God, we come before you thankful for your peace, thankful for the gift that you give us in your dear son, Jesus Christ, thankful for the season of preparation. We pray, O Lord, that you would be with those on our prayer list and help us as we go that we would not use this good news as an excuse to sin, but that it would embolden us to resist the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.
0: Hymn number 25, There's a Song in the Air.
1: Wednesday night, Advent service at 6.30, with supper served at 5.30. And then men's group three serves uh, coffee. Sunday, December 17th, the annual Sunday school Christmas program at 10.30. Sunday school is at 9 o'clock. Uh, notice the change. Lunch is with group seven serving. Congregation is asked to bring cookies and desserts. Uh, Saturday, December 16th, volunteers are needed for Christmas basket packing and delivery. This will start at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then right after the last song today, I'd like to meet and give an update on the Jamie Yahoo uh, house project, the handicap project, and uh, possibility of doing a fundraiser. And then we also need to hold a short board meeting for that, too.
0: Hymn number 19, O Come All Ye Faithful. Oh, come. i uh-huh.